All right, if you got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 18, and also you can hold your place in Luke 19 because we will be there as well. Luke 18 and 19 should have been given an um, outline on your way in. It'll be on the screen, and then I'm uh, in the CSB, so if you have the Version Bible app or another Bible app, um, you can follow along word for word there. Luke 18 will begin in verse 9, and then we'll also be in Luke 19 um, following that. But over the last three weeks um, in this series, This Is Us, um, we've been exploring in depth who we are as a church, but also why we do what we do um, as followers of Jesus, whether it be individuals or whether it be as a corporate body uh, uh, gathered together like on Sunday mornings or during the week whenever we come together. Um, Our mission is this, and we've been sharing it with you, to be a community of believers dedicated to the glory of God by extending radical grace for the broken, growing in spiritual maturity, and leading people to become passionate followers of Jesus through the gospel. Um, We have no secrets. Um, It is our desire, it is our goal to lead you to become a passionate follower of Jesus. We don't hide that. It's not a secret. That's been our goal for 13 years. Um, It's what keeps us focused. It's what drives us. We want to help you become a passionate follower of Jesus. We believe that all those other things in that statement will be a reality, and it will be true to you if you are passionately following Jesus. We don't want you to be an apathetic professor of Jesus, where you just live your life in neutral, where you're, there's no passion, there's no life. We don't want you to be apathetic. We want you to be passionate. We don't want you to be atheistic. Um, there's a book called uh, The Christian Atheist, and it's essentially someone who professes Christ, professes a belief in God, but then lives like there is no God, believes like, um, lives like there is no accountability, like God is not sovereign, like one day you will not stand uh, before him and give an account for your life. And so we don't want you to be atheistic in your approach. In the same way, we don't want you to um, be seasonal in your following of Jesus, the Christian and Easter only Christians, or those that when you're on uh, in a good time, in a good season, you follow him. But then when challenges come, when suffering comes, when sickness comes, when a setback comes, then all of a sudden God's against you and you're not following him as passionately. We want you to be a passionate follower of Jesus. We want you to passionately follow after him, not because it's rules and it's religion, not because it's a checklist that you come on Sunday and you check off, but because you have a relationship with him, because you're growing in that relationship with him. And so to follow Jesus, we must first know him. Um, It is our goal for you, whether you're a guest or whether you've grown up in church or whether um, you've been in this church for many years, not to have religion, but but to know Jesus personally to have that relationship with him, that intimate relationship. We talked about that last week, even in the body of believers, that we're called to intimacy. Well, we're called to intimacy with God. We want to glorify him. We want to know him personally. But that also comes about not by just knowing him personally, but also by um, learning his ways, learning from him, looking to scripture. How did Jesus do things? How did he live his life? And then not only learning from him, but then obeying his commands, following in his ways. 
We, we often have used the word Christian, which um, is Christ-like. Um, in fact, Christian was first used in the book of Acts as a mockery, um, little Christ, little Christian, you know, um, mocking followers of Jesus. Um, but, but it's essentially Christ-like. We want you to be Christ-like. But more than just being Christ-like, because we can kind of, um, you know, uh, discipline ourselves to do certain things, to behave certain ways. And we can go, look, I do this and Jesus does this. No, we want you to follow Jesus. We want you to follow Jesus in the good seasons and in the bad seasons. We want you to follow Jesus when, when it's favorable and when it's not, when there's persecution or when there's celebration. In all seasons of life, we want you to follow after him. We want you to pursue him with all that you are and all that you have. And so today we're going to learn from Jesus in how he made new followers and how he reached out to people. Because in that mission statement, we're, we're, we're finishing up that part of the statement where it says leading people to become passionate followers of Jesus through the gospel. And so I want to look to Jesus before we get to the main part. I want us to look at first Luke 18, 9 through 14, because this is very important for where we're going And this is what the scripture says. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So in this story, Jesus is telling about two men who went to the temple to pray. The first man that he tells us about is a Pharisee. And so a Pharisee among the Jews was a religious leader. Could be like a pastor, could be a teacher, it could be, he he is seen in the eyes of the people as a religious leader. This is one that people are looking to for leadership in spiritual things. And so prayer is expected of him. So we see that two men have gone to pray and we think that's a good thing. In fact, for some of us, maybe we had a rough week and you're like, hey, that's, that's a better start than what I had because um, thinking back and looking back, maybe I prayed this week, maybe it was one or two times. And so it's a good thing that they're praying. But Jesus points out about this religious leader, the Pharisee's prayer, and this is what he says it sounded like. God, I thank you I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. God, look at me. Look at my righteousness. Look at how I've overcome sin and I've conquered sin. I'm not like this guy over here praying, this tax collector. I'm not like the adulterer. I'm not like these other people, these other uh, sinners. I love what the New Living Translation in one part talking about these notorious sinners. It refers to them from the Pharisees. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's essentially what they looked at them like. 
They look down on them. This is a religious leader. This is someone who's supposed to care for them and lead them to God. And yet he is not only like in the presence of the tax collector, pointing his finger to them, saying, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. I've conquered my sin, except for the fact that he's overlooked, that he has not overcome his personal pride, his, his sin of pride or his sin of placing himself on God's throne and condemning another human being created in the image of God, that, that he has placed himself in God's position and, and I'm, I'm so much better than him. I'm so much greater than him. See, even in the church and even in spiritual matters, we can be prideful. We, we can feel that we're better than other people. We can feel like we're more um, spiritual, that we're more talented, that we're more whatever that might be. That, that we have this special place and this special view in God's eyes because of what we've conquered for ourselves, our self-righteousness, our, our achievements. And that's what's happening with this Pharisee. Look at me, look at how good I am, except he overlooked his self-righteousness. He overlooked his judgmentalism. He, looked, he overlooked his condemnation. He overlooked his pride. Well, the second man was a tax collector. Now, the tax system in this day was ruled by Rome, but Rome would get uh, Jews to collect taxes for them. And so Rome had their certain percentage, and I don't know what that was, but what they allowed their collectors to do was whatever they could get on top of that, whatever percentage they could charge and that they could get on top of that, they got to pocket that. And so um, that, that they were not liked very much because they were greedy and they would take advantage of their own people. The system was corrupt and um, full of injustice because if I want favors from someone who is powerful or that can benefit me in some way, then I can um, uh, give them a tax break. I can give them, a, as long as I'm giving Rome what I need to give Rome, like I don't have to charge anything on top of that. I, I can do what I can to help them out. Why? Because I'm going to personally benefit from them. Or if I don't like someone, then I can do everything in my power to um, really hurt them, to keep the poor poor, to keep them in poverty, to um, serve injustice to them because I have been given that power by Rome and Rome is backing me and Rome's this oppressive force. And so tax collectors were not uh, liked very much. They wouldn't have had a lot of friends. In fact, they were probably looked at and jeered at and, and despised. Their closest friends would have been those who stood to benefit from them. Hey, hey let me give you special favors so that um, uh, you can give me a special favor. Sounds like our governing officials, doesn't it? Our politicians, our... Yeah, I mean, no one gets excited when they get a call from the IRS or a letter from the IRS. Why? Because either there's been an error or they want some more money or whatever. We, we know the corruption that can happen when people have power, and so this is the system that is taking place. This is the man. This is why the Pharisee is looking at him, a tax collector. This is why the Bible lumps tax collectors in with sinners, because there was, it was full of injustice. It was full of um, greed. It was full of all sorts of sin. And so Jesus describes this man like this, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now think about that, even from our own perspective today. 
the, the sinners we know, the categories that we place people in, and how we might look at them and how we might even feel like, man, I'm so far down the road in my own spiritual journey. I'm where I am, and look at me, and look what I've conquered, and look what I've overcome in my life, and I'm glad, God, I don't sin like them. I'm glad, God, that I'm not like them, and we too can get in this way, but what we see is the unlikeliness Because one, we don't know people's hearts, we don't know their motives, though they may be struggling with a sin or they might be caught up in a sin, we don't know what God's doing in their heart and in their life, and yet we see here a total contrast, the spiritual leader, the Pharisee is the prideful one, the Pharisee is the one banking on his own um, achievements and his own righteousness, and we see the tax collector who is despised, who is hated, who is full of sin and greed most likely, who is now in this temple and God has brought him to a place where he has recognized his sin and he, is, he, can't even, he can't even really talk. He can't even look. He can barely look to heaven. And yet he's beating on his chest, just simply asking for mercy, just simply asking for God to have mercy on him. And he has humbled himself and he has come before God because he is in need. And so the Bible tells us that the tax collector went home justified, not the Pharisee. Think about that. The spiritual leader stood in his position proclaiming to be um, a a person of God, to be a spiritual leader, and was recognized even as such in the society and in the culture. Sorry, Siri, I'm not talking to you, and I don't want any information about the IRS. Thank you. (laughs) They're listening to me. Um, They just said, what did you say? Um, and so he, he is the one that has humbled himself. He is the one coming before God asking for this help because he knows that he is empty. He knows that he needs help. And I wonder today as Christians, as those who call New Passion home, those who are here today, what kind of sinner makes you uncomfortable what type of person that you look at in our society and, and you would like kind of keep your kids over to the side, that, that you would look at with a condemning eye, that, that you would look at in such a way that you would say, I'm thankful I'm not like them. I'm thankful I don't sin like them. Or, or you would look at them and thinking that they are the most unlikely of candidates to ever come to God or to ever be able to have a relationship with him. I mean, we can go through the, the categories, and we can go through the list. We can go through the uh, addicts. We can go through the prostitutes. We can go through those who are a part of the LGBTQI plus whatever um, community. It, 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 we can go on and on and on, and we can look at the different categories that we as Christians could look at and condemn, that we could look at with pride that we could look at with a judgmental and condemning point and wag of the finger. And I wonder how you would feel in these open seats that we have a desire to reach people and we have a desire to, 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 to see people come to faith in Christ, to lead people to become passionate followers of Jesus. If they walked in today and sat beside you and your family, how would you react? How would you look at them How would you respond to them? Would you welcome them? Or would you kind of slide your family a little closer and judge and condemn them? Would you um, be disgusted by them? Or would you love and encourage them? Would you welcome them just like you do everyone else? 
Would you shake their hand? Would you greet them with a hug? Would you be friendly to them? Or would you just kind of nod, wave, and walk on? Would you just say, uh, welcome to New Passion, and then keep your distance? If they were here today, whatever you imagine in your mind, maybe it's like that person who has wronged you or harmed you or hurt you, and that's the the person you could imagine in your mind because you hold a grudge against them and, and unforgiveness against them, whatever, and that very person walked in and sat beside you, how would you look at them? How would you welcome them? How would you receive them? Would you allow them to belong before they believe? Or would you require them to first meet your standard of holiness for approval? See, the sinner, the the tax collector, was welcome in the temple. So I want you to see that and understand that, that he was welcome to come into the temple. And sinners are um, welcome. And you can write this down. New Passion Church is a place sinners can freely come to Jesus. New Passion Church is a place sinners can freely come to Jesus See, the tax collector was able to come to Jesus, and, and, and this, uh, for those doing the slides, I'm sorry, this was uh, before that, but um, Jesus said the reason he was um, justified was because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So, so if we not knowing the motives of the sinners in our society— if we not knowing what God's doing in their heart and in their life, saw them come into our place of worship, saw them come into our church, what would be essentially comparable to this temple in this day where the sinner was able to come in, who could barely speak but could beat on his chest and simply ask for mercy, how would we receive them? Would we welcome them? Well, at New Passion, sinners are welcome to freely come seek mercy from God. This is a place where all people can seek truth and find God. And I wonder for us today, as we celebrate 13 years, because we're not changing who we are, we're not changing what we do, this is what we've always been about, that this is essentially just in a different way and in a different passage, very similar to what we um, challenged and called the people to on day one of our church And it's simply this, is who are we going to be? Who are you like when you look at this story, when you look at this parable from Jesus? The the Pharisee who judges notorious sinners, puffed up with self-pride, elevating your own righteous accomplishments? Or, like Jesus, welcoming the notorious sinners to come to him unhindered, and in humility seeking mercy. Now we see, and we can look on TV, and we can see that there are those who have wrong intentions, and they're advocates for certain things, and they go into churches and try to disrupt and try to cause problems. That's going to happen. I mean, even Scripture tells us as followers of Jesus to be cautious and to look out for the wolves in sheep's clothing. We know those things are going to happen. But we should never be so heightened and so worried and so fearful of those things happening that as genuine people come into this place to seek truth, to hear the gospel, because without the gospel, how are they ever going to come to realize that they need to trust in Jesus? It is the gospel that is the power into salvation. I posted that the other day. It's not Nick. It's not New Passion Church. It's not the the, the instruments. It's not the lights. It's not the big screen. It's not the comfortable seats. It's not anyone that is here. 
None of this is the power that leads people to salvation. None of this will save you. You can be here today and walk away and be like, man, that's a cool church. I love that church. That was a great hamburger. Um, I, I, I love Kona Ice. It was delicious. And you can walk away from here and have zero power into salvation without the gospel. And so we welcome sinners. They are welcome to come and hear the gospel. They are welcome to come and hear the truth. They are welcome to come and to seek mercy from God. The good news is, maybe you're here today. You don't have to come to church to seek mercy from God. He, he, you can seek mercy from God from your living room, from your bedroom, from your office cubicle. But you're welcome here to seek mercy from God, to seek the truth, to hear the gospel. So it's with this backdrop that Jesus made his way into Jericho. And that's where we pick up in Luke 19, verse 1 through 4, where it tells us he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd. Since he was a short man, a wee little man, so running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. You can write this down. Jesus humbly served humanity. Jesus humbly served humanity. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. One of our doctrines that we believe is that Jesus was sinless. It was intentional. It was necessary for Jesus to be sinless in order for his sacrifice on the cross to matter, to, to even have power for your salvation. He had to be this sinless offering for our sins. Jesus was sinless. He was God in flesh. And what we see was he was unlike the Pharisee. We see that he entered into Jericho. He, he didn't look down on sinners, but in humility, he lowered himself and he dwelt among the people. He, he wasn't untouchable. He wasn't within, uh, he, he kept himself within the reach of people. We, we see this with the crowd. It, it engulfed him. He went out of his way to engage the lost and the needy. So, so he's not over here avoiding the crowd like the Pharisee, pointing his finger saying, God, I think, I, I'm thankful I'm not like them. I, I can't go among the people. And in fact, if you read Matthew 23, and it's in Luke where Jesus goes after the Pharisees, he's constantly telling them how they want the seat of high, highest honor. They want the tassels and the robes. They want the fine clothes. They want all these things. But then they make it difficult for the people to actually come to God. And so they elevated themselves. They wanted the seats of highest honor. They wanted the prestige. They wanted the respect. And here we see Jesus, God in flesh, perfect, unlike the Pharisee. We see him walking among the people. We see him where he is not untouchable, but he is within reach of those who are lost and needy. Verse 2 tells us Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was rich. He, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd since he was a short man. See, Jesus walked among the crowd he, he, um, and among the people. He attracted a curious crowd wherever he went. He, he attracted a crowd of people who were needy, who were seeking mercy, who were seeking healing. Philippians 2, 5, through eight, 5 and 8 tells us, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. 
See, humility is dying to self. For, for us, we have to die to ourselves. We see even in this passage, and if you read the whole thing, you will see Jesus dying to himself, but also physically dying, physically dying for us. Jesus gave up his perfect place in heaven. He, he didn't cling to his equality with God. Think about that. The Bible tells us that love does not demand its own way. Jesus could have said, hey, hey Father, I know that you have this plan, and, and I, but we're equal, and I have equality with God, and, and they're, they're, though the Father um, is, has his will and has his um, plan, Jesus is equal with him. And so he could have refused. He could have clung to his equality. He could have demanded his own way. He could have demanded that the Father come up with another solution. He could have said, they're not worth it. They're, they're wicked sinners. He could have been like the Pharisee even before taking on flesh. But that's why we celebrate at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us, because he did put on flesh, fully God, fully man, to come and pursue mankind. And so he didn't demand his own way. He didn't cling to his equality. He died to the, the, the um, ability to remain in a perfect heaven with no sin, with no problems, with no, no issues that you and I face. But instead, in obedience to his father, he humbled himself. He offered himself as the sacrificial sin offering for God's people. And that's our mandate as his followers as passionate followers of Jesus, as new passion church. And if God ever sends you anywhere else, it's still your mandate. Adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. T today, the, 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 the mandate for us, the thing that we need to walk away with, the challenge for us to accept is simply that. Because if we're going to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, then we're going to passionately follow him because he passionately fulfilled the will of the Father. He passionately glorified God with all of who he was because of his attitude. And for us as a church, year 14, year 15, year 20, year 50, and beyond, as long as God has us here, as long as God gives us life, we must adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. We must avoid and we must protect against the Phariseeism and the judgmentalism and, and the rejecting of those who are wanting and needing to come to God. But we need to be more like Jesus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just the tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. So he's probably not only charging whatever he wants on top of Rome's rate, but he's probably just like Amway getting a little trickle up from the other tax collectors. He's building his pyramid scheme. He's rich. He's extremely wealthy. And so here, um, he uh, most likely, once again, like the other tax collector, despised, looked down on only by the other religious leaders. Think about that. The Pharisee had the perfect opportunity in the temple to be a representative of God. This man's needing mercy. He's needing God. And he missed it because he points his finger at him. Zacchaeus is in the same position. He's despised by a majority of people unless he can benefit them. But Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming and he, he has heard about this Jesus. I imagine, because why else would you want to go and see him? Why else would you want to experience him? And so what we see um, 
even leading up to this passage of Scripture, what we've talked about even over the last previous week, that Jesus put humanity over the religious rules. You remember when the, 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 the widow who lost her only son, remember when she was going to the, through the funeral procession and Jesus comes and he breaks the religious rules? To, to, uh, he really fulfills the law of Christ in loving her, and he touches the dead body, which was against the law to the Pharisees and to the religious um, elite like them. And he showed compassion to this mother, and he raised her from the dead. He heard about this. He, he heard about this Jesus, uh, where he healed a blind beggar, where he healed the ten lepers, and where he went and he pursued the lepers, and everyone cast them out. They were outcasts. They were untouchable, and Jesus went to them. He had heard about this Jesus. He heard about the Jesus who on the Sabbath healed a sick woman, and who put, once again, humanity over religion. This is the Jesus who taught about the shepherd who leads the 99 to go after the one. This is the one that, that, that symbolizes the the, the redemption of God in pursuing his lost people who, who uh, leave the religious, who, who leave the Pharisees, who leave the ones who think that they're righteous and they've achieved something great. He leaves them and he goes after the one, the tax collector who beats on his chest and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is the Jesus that he's heard about. And just a few days earlier, he's telling this parable about a tax collector who was justified by God. And so if there's hope for that tax collector, there's hope for me. If, if Jesus would speak about this tax collector in this way, he's different than the Pharisee, then he can do that for me. And so this Jesus, I want to see. This Jesus, I've got to experience. And so Zacchaeus climbs up into a tree just to get a glimpse of him, just to see him. I don't know that he really expected to have a personal encounter with him, but Scripture tells us in verse 5 and 6, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, he, he knew Zacchaeus' name. It's as if he came just for him. Hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. You're going to see that at the end of this passage, but this is what he's doing in this moment. He sought Zacchaeus out. Unlike the Pharisee pointing his finger saying, thank you that I don't sin like him. Thank you I'm not like the adulterer. Thank you I'm not like the tax collector. Thank you that I'm not like the greedy person. Thank you that I'm, I'm so righteous He's not doing that. Instead, he's seeking him out. He's pursuing him. He's going after him. He knows him personally. See, he was all about giving second chances and new beginnings. We see that all through the New Testament. We see that all through the life and the ministry of Jesus. He um, extended radical grace, and doing this um, is part of who we are as a church, as we've talked about. You can write this down at New Passion. We are people of the second chance. Jesus went especially to those who felt they were unworthy or others who saw them as unworthy of second chances. But Jesus was a God of second chances. Jesus was all about new beginnings. And so new passion, as we say it often, as we have on our shirts, we are people of the second chance. 
giving people second chances and helping them find their new beginning is part of extending radical grace to the broken, as we've talked about a couple weeks ago. But it's also how we effectively lead people to become passionate followers of Jesus. And here's what you need to know today, not just if you're a follower of Jesus, but maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're here visiting, maybe you're here just checking things out, your past doesn't have to define you. If there's anything that you learn today, or if there's something that even as a follower of Jesus that's been holding you back, that's been putting you in chains, that's been locking you up and holding you in bondage, your past does not define you. It doesn't have to define you. You can allow it to define you, but it doesn't have to define you. And we see this in Jesus. He didn't hold the tax collector bound to his past. He pursued him to give him a new beginning, to write a new chapter in his life, to give him a second chance. The same Jesus who went to Jericho to engage Zacchaeus is the same Jesus that can write a new story in your life. He can give you a new beginning today. Maybe that's why you're here today. But maybe it's God's way of bringing you into a place to experience the same Jesus that Zacchaeus experienced. To, to experience this same God who would give mercy and who would justify the tax collector in the temple. To, to hear and to know that Christ humbled himself. He did not cling to the equality with God that he had in heaven. He did not stay in the perfect heaven, but he humbled himself and he died a criminal's death on the cross so that you could have a new beginning, so that you could have a fresh start. If you don't know Jesus, just like Zacchaeus, you too can joyfully receive him. You too can joyfully receive life through him. There's no joy in religion. There's no joy in being like that Pharisee who, who thought he had accomplished all of these things, and yet he was still full of pride and condemnation. He was still rejected by God. Think about that. You can spend your whole life trying to measure up, trying to check all the boxes, trying to play the religious game, and at the end of your life, stand before God and be rejected because the Bible says, he who elevates himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be elevated, will be justified as we saw with the tax collector. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about having a relationship with him. It's about knowing and believing that you cannot do it on your own. You can't play the religious game. You can't be good enough. You can't be righteous enough. If that's the case, then you are bound to 613 religious laws. You need to follow them all. And there's no way you can do that. And so if you want to strive to do it on your own, God gave a path to do that. He said, you need to be perfect. And I'm going to illustrate that perfection. Here's 613 laws. And we can't even keep 10 of them. And if you say you did, you broke one of them about bearing false witness. When you were a child, you broke the one as well in disobeying your parents. Go ask them. And then he gave us two, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You don't do that. I don't do that. We all put things above God. We all are idol worshipers at times. We, we all betray God, and yet we're forgiven, and we walk in that forgiveness because of Jesus. You can't do that on your own. Love your neighbor as yourself. If loving our neighbor is like Jesus loved us, we've failed. 
We've fallen short. The moment that we've not died to ourselves and sacrificed ourselves for our neighbor, like Jesus did for us, we failed and we've fallen short. We can't even keep two laws. And so it's impossible to do it on your own. And so maybe God's allowing you to be here today to hear that you don't have to do it on your own, that you can joyfully receive life in Christ, that you can joyfully walk in life with him by experiencing, by trusting in what Christ did for you, that he did it on your behalf. He went to the cross and he paid the debt so that you didn't have to. He was perfect knowing that you could not be perfect. And so you don't have to rely on yourself. When you fail and when you fall and when you come short, you can praise God in that moment. You don't have to be riddled with guilt and shame. Sure, conviction's good and repentance is good, but you can praise and thank God that he is a God of second chances and that because of Jesus, you still stand before him, holy, blameless, without a single fault. And so if you don't know Jesus, you can joyfully receive him even today. But beyond that, there's great joy in having that relationship with God through Jesus, walking in that relationship, knowing him, growing in intimacy with him in that. And so just like Zacchaeus, you too can trust him today. You can place your faith in him and be made brand new. Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everyone is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That crowd I was just talking to, that promise is for you. If you've not been reconciled to God through Jesus, that promise is for you. He'll forgive you. He'll make you new. He'll make you a brand new creation. He's not going to put the pieces back together. He's not going to put a band-aid. He's not going to take some super glue and make you this mosaic. He's going to make you brand new, a new creation something fresh and new, but he also adopts us as sons and daughters. And so if that's you today, I want you to understand that. I want you to carry that with you. I want you to respond to that. But for those of us who follow Jesus, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, that promise is also true for every sinner that's not here today. For every sinner that's in their home today, for every sinner that maybe is sleeping under a bridge today, for every sinner who um, maybe be, woke up this morning with a hangover or the effects of getting high last night because they're trying to find peace and they're trying to find contentment, they're looking through a needle or they're looking through a joint or whatever that might be, they're looking through it uh, for that peace and that contentment and that satisfaction in sex or in food or something outside of God that this promise is for them. And as a church, we're committed to do everything we can to bring the good news to each of those people and reconcile them back to God. Just as Jesus went to Zacchaeus, we must go seek the lost to help reconcile them. As a church, our next however many years God gives us, that is our mission to go, go into all the world, to go make disciples, to go into all Jerusalem and Judea and uh, 
I, of course, I was going to mess up on Samaria. Did I say some? Anyway, say it. Samaria, thank you. That's, that's, our, that's our mission is to go. These guys, um, you don't have to raise your hand. I've got some guys going to be handing y'all something because this is the reality. And I've done this before. Um, congratulations, you're now on the team. Because every Christian is an ambassador for Christ. The difference is you're going to get a certificate today. Every Christian is an ambassador for Christ. Scripture tells us that. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. That, that's you. If you've been reconciled to God, you are an ambassador for Christ. Every Christian is a minister of reconciliation. He says he has uh, entrusted this to you. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So he reconciles us, but then he says, congratulations, you're on the team. So everyone at New Passion Church, everyone in every gospel preaching church has been reconciled by God, has been appointed to be a minister of reconciliation. He says, I'm going to take this message and I'm going to reconcile you back to God, but then I'm going to send you out with the same message, come back to God. Be reconciled to God. And so there are people that are here today that came to faith at New Passion Church because someone invited you and you heard the gospel. Maybe they shared the gospel with you outside of here and you um, came to faith and now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to go and to lead people to become passionate followers of Jesus. Now you're on the team. Welcome. Like we can't fit you all on the website, but you're on the team. Every one of you are ministers of reconciliation. You've been appointed today. You now have a certificate. You now have evidence. Frame it. Put it on your wall. You're a minister of the gospel. You're a minister of this message. Come back to God through Christ. Not wagging our finger. Not condemning. Not judging. Come back to God. Be reconciled to God. We believe that you have every gift that you need. We believe that you have every resource through the Holy Spirit, that he has equipped you, that he has called you, that he has appointed you. And so we empower you in your workplace, in the classroom, in your community, in your neighborhood, wherever you experience people, it's your job, it's your role to be a minister of reconciliation to be an ambassador of Christ. You represent not New Passion Church, although you're a part of this family. We, we call all of our, what we call our owners, to, to invite people to church, to invite people to come hear the gospel, to, to be a, a, a cheerleader of this place. But it's not just about New Passion Church. It's about the kingdom of God. And so you're an ambassador for Christ's kingdom. You're not an ambassador for Nick Carnes. You're an ambassador for Christ Jesus, the one who has saved you, the one who has redeemed you, the one who comes to you as he did Zacchaeus. And he says, it's necessary for me to come and spend time with you. It's necessary for me to come and to know you. He wants to intimately know you today. And so you have been, you're being sent, you're being appointed, you're being called out to fulfill your role to fulfill your responsibility 
of reconciling others back to God. Verse 7 says, all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. You can write this down. People of the second chance are people of no reputation. And we said this just a few weeks ago. See, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. As we engage sinners, some people will disagree with who we love and take the gospel to, who we dine with and minister to. But just as Jesus engaged notorious sinners, so will we. Verse 8 to 10 says, But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give you half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have exhorted, extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. The final thing you write down is simply this. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. He changed everything in Zacchaeus's life. He went from greedy to restoring that which he stole from people fourfold. He went and made restitution. He went and made things right. His world was made right, and then he went and became a minister of reconciliation. He went to make things right. And this is why we do what we do as a church. This is why I started New Passion Church more than 13 years ago because of the journey started uh, almost a year prior to that. It's because we firmly believe that Jesus changes everything. He'll change everything in your life if you'll let him, if you'll place your faith and trust in him. When Zacchaeus was transformed His heart was transformed. His life was transformed. And that's what he wants to do. And so we believe this is true for our community and for people around the world. We'll be generous in giving our resources and we'll go personally, locally, and globally to do the work of reconciliation. And we'll send as many people, as many other people as we can, to do the work of reconciliation to go to the places that we can't, or to go where they're gifted. And that's why tonight, and I'm going to close with this, we're inviting you to a service where we get to serve as the sending church for Steve White. There's a slide up here. It's at 6 p.m. It's going to be some fellowship um, afterwards, uh, some some cake. And, And we have the opportunity to be a part of his commissioning for a new ministry that he's a part of. Thank you, Aaron. Somebody's excited. But we get to send him out to do something he's gifted in, and that is to help train and prepare other youth pastors, volunteer youth workers. Why? Because I'm here today because I had a youth pastor and youth workers and volunteers and and people mentor me and pour into my life. Some of you are here because you had a youth pastor pour into you. And Steve, God's placed it on his heart to do what he can to take what God's poured into him for over 20 years and to pour into young guys, young ladies, young young volunteers, those who maybe are older but have no training. And so when we commission someone, when we send them out, we get to be a part of that. Why? Because that's what he's gifted in. And by, by Steve pouring into others, they then get to be more effective ministers of reconciliation. And so tonight at six, I know it would honor the White family 
It, it would mean the world to them to have as many people from their church family here to send them out on this ministry, on this new journey. So with that church, as we prepare to pray, one, if you don't know Jesus, as I pray, there's no magic prayer. The Bible says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness. If you believe the message that was spoken today about Jesus, the mouth confess that he is Lord, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If your heart believes unto righteousness and your mouth confess that, you will be saved. And so in this moment, you can simply confess your need for God. You can beat your chest and ask for mercy. You can simply declare your dependence on him, trusting that he is Christ and trusting that what he did on the cross for you was sufficient for your sins. And so as I pray, I encourage you to have that conversation. Let us know on a connect card if you take that step so we can walk with you. But then finally, us as a church, it is our responsibility to go seek and to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. You are ministers of reconciliation. It is now time to go and minister the gospel message of reconciliation. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for this message of the gospel. We thank you that you are a God of second chances, and that's who you have called us to be. Lord, I do pray that if there is one here that does not know you, that today, in this moment, that they would call out to you. They would ask for mercy. They would confess their faith in Christ for salvation. God, would you speak like only you can? Would your Holy Spirit move like only you can? And then, Father, I pray for those who are your followers, that we would be passionate followers of Jesus. We would go seek, but we would also go tell. And we would take this appointment that you have given us in Corinthians to go and to take this message of reconciliation to others, and we would take it seriously. And we would passionately share it with everyone you allow us to have a relationship with and everyone you allow us to encounter. Because that's what you've called us to do, but also that's what you have done for us. May we not be like the Pharisee, but may we be like Jesus. I pray all of this in his name. Amen.